whether you would describe where we finished last week as a cliffhanger, but that's how it was pitched. Uh, you might recall we had six discoveries which were rather wordy, and by popular request, I created a little printout, nice A5 printout, which I created for each of us and then chopped it in half and promptly left it on the printer. So that's something for you to look forward to, and all it does is give you those six discoveries um, from last week. I'm not uh, going to go through them all again. Um, we'll just pick up number six, which was uh, the one we didn't have time for last week. And then we'll move on to this week's subject. So last week we were an expectant people, and uh, this week we are an intercessory people. But our discovery number six last week was um, expectations from purposeful prayer include peace, joy, forgiveness, relief, thankfulness, love, challenge, the presence of God, and answers. Prayer without expectation is arguably no prayer at all, and we have no right to expect what we don't pray for quite a lot in that um, I think it's a, a real challenging statement that we don't have a right to expect what we don't pray for we will be um, getting to the point about what we should be praying for um, in a second but um, God wants us to pray and he has an expectation that we will pray for that which he burdens our hearts with and if we don't do that, then how can we um, develop an expectation for him to answer us? So the cliffhanger question is, what should we expect from prayer? We're an expectant people. That's what we're being encouraged to, to be. So what should our expectations be? And the obvious one is, well, answers. <laughs> we go to God with our requests. And we should do that in a spirit of expectation so we get answers. And that really is the stuff of our today subject. So I'll come back to that when we think about what we should be asking for. Um, if we know what we're asking for, then uh, we'll get a sense of what where our expectations should be. But I would like to um, make a suggestion that uh, we can expect more than just answers from prayer. If you think of that, um, is it an acrostic, is that what it's called? Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. The answers to requests bit comes from supplication. But my contention is we get um, some kind of response or outcome when we think about adoration, confession and thanksgiving. So our expectation shouldn't just be for answers um, to our requests. Our expectation should be some kind of reaction to our adoration, confession and thanksgiving. And it's those three that I, I wanted to focus on uh, really briefly. You may uh, remember that our readings last week were um, on this point, where Isaiah 40 um, Let's read that actually while we're together. Isaiah 40, verse 27. We also turn to um, Psalm 40, which talks about 
as uh, being before the Lord with expectation, and also Isaiah 49, which has the same thought. But let's go to, uh, we will refer back to those. Let's read Psalm 40, verse 27 to 31. Why do you say, oh, sorry, Isaiah 40, is that what I said? Isaiah 40, 37 to 41. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, who wait on the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And actually, while we're at it, there are just a couple of verses. So let's go to Psalm 40 and read the first three of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and put the mud out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then finally, Isaiah 49 and 23. I am the Lord for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. So let's just consider the expectation we might have as we engage in prayer, in adoration, confession and thanksgiving. And the adoration part comes from Isaiah 40. It's a a sense of the presence of God. When we are before him in prayer collectively and we engage in that process of adoration reflecting on what he's revealed to us about himself then the consequence the expectation we can have is an awareness of the presence of God he says do you not know have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he will not grow weary or tired and his understanding no one can fathom When we are feeling down, as we all are inevitably prone to do, because we're living in a sinful world um, that's pretty depressing, I think we can have an expectation when we go to the prayer meeting and hear, um, to some extent, um, thoughts of adoration to our God, then we can expect to be lifted. And that makes a big difference in our orientation as we go to the prayer meeting. Is this a, dr- a drudge? Have I got the time? And I haven't had the chance to get home. I'm coming straight from, word, from work. And you can have an expectation. We can have an expectation for our spirits to be lifted as a consequence of the adoration that will happen. Confession. What can be our expectation as we make confession as God's people before him? And I put it to you, it's a sense of relief, a sense of forgiveness and the joy of our salvation and the confidence in being fit for service. That's a really important thing. When we fail, it can have such a destructive effect on our demeanour. 
We can think, well, we're just a failure. How can God possibly work through us? We can think of our, often our numerical weakness. And in Manchester, we do pretty well, but there's churches out there that are very weak numerically. And we could um, feel that that would be a, a kind of depressing thing. But when we come to God and acknowledge our weakness, um, then there is a real sense of relief and dependence upon him, both in terms of uh, confession for forgiveness and also just our general weakness. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That should be our expectation of our time of prayer together when we're thinking in terms of our confession. That we're lifted from thoughts of um, failure and succumbing to temptation or what, whatever it might be. And we, we rely on the salvation that the Lord has achieved for us to make us um, fit for his service. That's another expectation, the feeling of, of joy in our salvation and confidence of being fit for service. And finally, what should our expectation be when we think of uh, bringing to God our thoughts of thanksgiving? Um, and we go to Psalm uh, 40. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So the impact of thanksgiving is it, it makes us count our blessings. And that's the wonder of um, collective prayer because a brother will stand and give thanks for something that perhaps we hadn't thought about and it lifts our spirits as we share in, um, shall we say, spirit-led communal gratitude for what God has achieved for us. So in conclusion about us being an expectant people, thought occurred to me um, if you go to First Kings 18, it's a story of Elijah praying that the, um, the famine would come to an end amongst God's people. And he sends his servant seven times to see if there's a, an answer to his prayer. And of course, an answer to his prayer would be a cloud in the sky. And on the seventh time, the, um, the guy comes back and he says, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. It's a tiny little... Um, evidence of God responding to Elijah's request and maybe we should set our expectations um, um, in, that, in that way we just need a little bit of encouragement and it's a demonstration of God hearing us let's move to today's subject which is um, prayer and interceding people and I would say that our topic now, and just to remind us as to where we've been, if I flick back, we've talked about um, uh, a people at war, uh, a praising people, a confessing people, an expectant people, and now we're talking about uh, us being an interceding people. And this is really the, the core of um, intercessory prayer, or the things that we request. What is appropriate for us to be requesting from God as his people? 
I do have some discoveries. <laughs> They're not quite as, as wordy as last time, and I will, now that I'm going to be late in giving you the other discoveries I can uh, last week's, so I can add them to the list. But um, I think there are five here. Um, if I was to, first of all, give um, this part of the pitch a title, it would be Prayer Accomplishes Much. Prayer Accomplishes Much. And that's a quotation, an old version quotation from James 15, sorry, James 5 verse 16. And it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So um, our banner today is prayer accomplishes much. So our first discovery is prayer makes a difference. That's really simple to remember. Prayer makes a difference. Number two. God ordained prayer not for his sake. We don't need to pray to God because somehow it does him good. God ordained prayer not for his sake, but for our sake. And that's a really helpful um, perspective for us to have on prayer. And he commands us to do it, and therefore we should. Number three. Our prayers are a component of a great orchestration of God's sovereign will. This is our privilege and our responsibility. You have that old um, kind of hot potato, you know, does prayer really make a difference? How is prayer compatible with God's sovereign will? The way I'm helped to understand that deep theological dilemma is my prayers are part of God's sovereign will. So if he is orchestrating his will um, through my lifetime, part of that process is what he would have me pray for. So I'm praying as a component of, of God's, God's great plan. And he helps me to pray the right things by the presence of his spirit. So... Um, Maybe that, that's a help, I don't know. We will come to it uh, briefly in a second. Number four, in prayer, we're in the business of reviewing with God the burdens he has put on our hearts. That's what intercession means. It's, um, it's having an interview, actually, or an audience, and a, a conference conferring with somebody about a uh, common subject. So prayer, in prayer, we are in the business of reviewing with God the burdens he has put on our hearts. And finally, our requests and intercessory prayers should focus on, and I've got three broad categories, and um, we'll have a look at some of the Apostles Paul's prayers, just really in summary, just bullet points. But it appealed to me that they fall into three categories, and these are the things that we should be praying for. Um, number one, that we, as individuals, and therefore, as God's people, might be more Christ-like. That's number one, and it has a whole load of uh, illustrations underneath it of what prayers to that end look like. Number two is pray for the people in the world around us. And um, that is both for the authorities, as we'll see from a reading in a moment, um, but also for the people around us who are clearly in need of salvation. And finally, pray for enabling and blessing in service. 
So that's more an introspective prayer. Um, it's about um, us praying for ourselves. And it embraces all kinds of things like help with our health. Why would we want to be healthy? Well, it's so that our service can not be impeded by illness. Um, his enabling in different aspects of our service, um, giving us courage um, and uh, opportunity and those kinds of things. So let's go to a reading. First uh, Timothy chapter 2. So Paul writing to Timothy, who at this point is an overseer in the Church of God in Ephesus. And um, we might have the impression that Timothy was a youngster. Well, actually, I don't think he was. He was probably late 40s or something at this stage, um, but carrying a big responsibility. And there's a whole list of exhortations in Paul's instructions to Timothy. And we get to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and he says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made to everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, that we will that we may live peacefully and quiet lives, sorry, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling you the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So I just wanted to unpick a little bit this instruction of Paul to Timothy as an overseer and he would be urging Timothy in the context of encouraging um, in this case prayer in the assembly in Ephesus and he says I urge you first of all he's got a list of things uh, incidentally um, a little further down the list um, number two on his list is about urging the sisters and encouraging them in their own roles in the church. But he says, first of all, I urge you, I encourage you, or I instruct you. Um, and then he goes on to give these instructions <coughs> about prayer. So prayer is a priority. And that's where our uh, discovery comes from, that prayer is something that God's designed for us to do for our benefit, and we should do it. It's a command. And then he says, requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all men. So we've got requests or supplications, it says in some older versions. Prayers, curiously, that's on this list of things. Um, intercession and thanksgiving. So four things, um, supplication, prayer, intercession and thanksgiving. They, they should form, um, th th that's the constitution of what Paul is encouraging Timothy to, to do first of all. So what supplication mean? That's um, translated in my Bible as requests. Sometimes you, you click on, if, if you've got um, electronic Strong's concordance on your Bible, you click on the number and it unfolds a whole load of really choice things. This is what happens if you click on supplication. 
it says supplication is indigence, privation, penury. <laughs> um, I'm none the wiser, <laughs> so I can't even pronounce them. Indigence, privation, penury. I'm going to uh, stick with requests. That's what supplications are. It's about our requests to God, or our petitions is another word. The things that are on our hearts that we ask for. So he's saying that they um, should make petitions and prayers. Prayers, curiously, it's on this list, but it's an all-embracing statement for you know what it means to pray. Um, but it's down there as these uh, requests should be made to God in the context of prayer. And this sort of intercession, the next on the list, um, is an interview, as we've said, a conference over a topic where we're in the business of re reviewing with God the things that he's burdens he's put on our hearts to pray and thanksgiving that's just the genuine response of our hearts to what we appreciate about God so we've got this uh, very thorough breakdown of the stuff of prayer that's how I would like to see it and Paul is urging Timothy as an elder in the church of God in Ephesus to encourage these things to happen um, in the prayers of the assembly what to pray for he says pray for everyone um, kings and all in authority um, I'm going to come back to that one but I want us, wanted us to explore briefly this very familiar expression in verse 4 which um, often we grapple with this is um, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And it's important for us to review it in this context because we need to be praying in God's will. So having an understanding of God's, what God's will is, is uh, quite critical. And I'm going to be quoting from our esteemed brother, Brian Johnson. Um, there's think many brothers here today were at the um, men's study day when prayer was our topic and this came up and it stuck with me as something actually quite complex but really helpful if we can get our heads around it and um, Brian was giving ministry on the three wills of God um, he talked about and, and this is a, a whole ministry so um, I'll be really brief but there's just um, three types of will God's will that we see in scripture one was described as the decretive will of God. So this is um, God's will by which he brings to pass his decrees. Um, one example is um, God has decreed that um, Satan um, will always be Satan. And he's, um, he's never going to be saved. So decrees um, praying in God's decretive will it's not really constructive um, those things are going to happen and um, the best we can do is perhaps pour out the longings of our heart but if God has decreed it then um, it will happen regardless then there's God's preceptive will and that's God's revealed law or commands which we actually have the power to break. So an example of that is the permanence of marriage. It's, um, it's God's um, 
it's God's will that marriages should be permanent until death does do part. But we have the capacity to go against that and break it. So um, you can see that our free will um, interacts the, with God's preceptive will. And then the third point, the third one, is his will of disposition. And it's God's attitude that reveals what pleases him. And this is the, the one that's mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's his will for all men to be saved um, and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's not his decretive will in the sense that it's going to happen, but it's, um, it's the attitude in God's will that pleases him. So when it comes to our prayers, uh, decretive will, we don't have any business to pray there because our prayers um, have no impact or, or will not change. There's the preceptive will. We focus on asking God for courage and his enabling for ongoing obedience. That's where we have the capacity um, to break what God really wills. And the, first, the third one is disposition, that God may graciously align our disposition to his so that we might, um, and that's, we had this uh, last week, about when we wait on the Lord, it's a process of aligning our wills with his. So we pray in accordance with his will. So when it comes to um, us praying for example, for people that we know and love and want to pray for their salvation, as Paul did, we'll come to that in a second, that's um, God's will of disposition. And it's a perfectly legitimate thing for us to be uh, praying and it's part of God's great sovereign orchestrated plan that we do engage in prayer for those things so coming back to the the real heart of um, our intercessory praying what is it that we should be praying for and I have a list here and it's not my list it's uh, taken from elsewhere but it's a summary of the things that Paul prayed for and I would just say, you know, welcome to the Northwest Week of Prayer. These are the things that should characterise our prayers this week. And the first one was for pray for likeness of likeness to Christ. Some examples: uh, more faith, love, maturity, and understanding. To be counted uh, more worthy, more faithful, and to be united boldness and clarity in faithfulness these um, were things that Paul in one guise or, or other regularly prayed for and they're very much praying for himself and for the saints in the churches of God that fundamentally we are in the business of becoming Christ-like and that's what we should be praying for and the second category is praying for people and we have that in First Timothy 2, where he was encouraging um, the saints there to pray for kings and those in high office. And what, what would we pray for? That um, godly things will happen, that they'll have a godly orientation to the leadership and the responsibility that they've given. So that's praying for people in the world around us. Um, and then it's also praying for the salvation of those uh, amongst us. 
so um, Paul would make prayers for his uh, compatriots, those who are around him who didn't know the Lord, those who were his audience um, for the gospel, he would pray for those. So praying for ourselves, for Christ-likeness, that's in our character, praying for people around the world, for their leadership, for help in calamity, um, and pray specifically for the salvation of those that God puts in our Christian path. And finally, pray for blessing in service. And there's examples of Paul praying for enlightenment and empowerment and also protection while doing God's will. So there was times when Paul talked about the thorn in his flesh, which was an impediment. Initially, at least, he saw it as an impediment to his service and he would pray that God would take that away from him. Um, so protection and enabling um, while doing God's will or performing God's service. So as we embark on our week of prayer, um, we, in the last couple of weeks, we do it with a spirit of expectation and our prayers should be uh, producing things in our lives as we think about adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. Our expectation is to get a, re a response and encouragement from all of those things. And the stuff of our prayers um, should, uh, when it comes to supplication, making requests, it's for ourselves in terms of Christ-likeness. It's for those around us in authority and in need of salvation. And it's for events, if you like, blessing on our service and our performance of it. I'd like to close with a, an example. Um, there is no better example than the Lord. And the verse quoted in the remembrance this morning is Hebrews 5 verse 7. I've been um, thinking recently about looking at the Lord and his life of faith. And faith is a fundamental prerequisite to effective prayer. We have to, that's Hebrews, first verse in Hebrews 11, that um, we need to believe that God exists um, as we approach him. But it says in Hebrews 5 and 7, during his life on earth, that's the life of the Lord, he offered up prayers and petitions um, with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And um, it says that he was heard through as a consequence of his uh, commitment and sincerity to that. It's interesting that the Lord prayed with the same agenda as we have. Um, he offered up prayers and petitions, requests. Um, if the Lord needed to do it, um, then so also should we. Should we ask for God's help?